time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. people I think is good people. They are they have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Back, episode 78. How are you, buddy? Doing okay. How are you? I'm good. Why do you always do this voice when I ask you how you're doing? Why do you, why do you try and sound like a grown-up every time I ask you how you're doing? Oh, uh, I don't know. Just use your, Why can't you answer in your normal squeaky, girly voice? I think you just answered your own question. You're not fooling anyone, you know. I'm You're not a at a bar meeting a some some chick for the first time. Hello, I'm Ray Harris. Don't let my size fool you. I have a really big penis <laughs> and a deep voice. No, I think I've been anyone. To start out deep and then go superficial. I don't know. It's just part of my my makeup. Mm-hmm. In uh, episode seventy-seven, yeah, uh, we talked about the uh, fire bombing. Of Japan, 260,000 people killed by conventional bombing. 67 cities hit, 9.2 million people homeless, according to the Japanese's own statistics. Right. We talked about the uh, the Japanese uh, nuclear projects where they were trying to build their own bomb. Didn't quite get there, it seems, although uh, one American journalist uh, interviewed a guy, a Japanese officer, who said that they did successfully test an A-bomb three days before the end of the war, but there's no other evidence that we're aware of to, to support that, apart from the fact that the, that the Russians, uh, a couple of weeks after the end of the war, uh, shot down an American B-29 that was flying over the, the base in uh, Korea, mm. where the Japanese um, nuclear project apparently was. No real explanation of that. Um, we also talked about the fact that uh, the the Soviets were ready to declare war on Japan as they had agreed with the Americans around about August 5, 6, 7, 8. Um, but of course, as we know, by the time they did that, it was um, the bomb had already been dropped. We'll get to that in future episodes. Yeah. We just did a great interview with Jeff Hogue, who's the co-host, or not the co-host, the host mm-hmm. of the History of the Cold War podcast, and that'll come out, I think, next week, and we're talking about the bombing of Japan. Uh, it's the beginning of what will be a, a, a quite a lengthy um, arc for us. We'll probably take a handful of episodes to talk about the do's and don'ts and the justifications and the aftermath of that. Right. We talked on the last episode about American taking of Iwo Jima and Okinawa, um, how the Japanese had really dug in and fought like their lives depended on it, and how this led to the Americans uh, being concerned that if they had to invade the the, the home islands proper, 
it could be uh, a fairly costly exercise in terms of uh, American lives as well as Japanese lives. Of course, as you pointed out in the chat we just had with Jeff Ho, Douglas MacArthur, who was going to be in charge of that, didn't have a problem with uh, it, you know losing hundreds yeah. of thousands of American lives. He was like, yeah, fucking bring it on, man. Yeah. That's how we do. <laughs> Yeah, because he, he was going to go down as the greatest, you know, the the man in charge of the greatest invasion in American history, if not world history. So it's it's no um, no sweat off him. He was ready to go, and he was really pissed, which is why when he talks about uh, dropping the bomb, that's got to be taken with a grain of salt in context. I think the greatest invasion in world history is probably the uh, Visigoths taking <laughs> Rome, man. What? Um, in, in modern history, a little bit more modern impressive. Um, okay. I did want to bring up On one thing, not, not that I'm trying to split hairs, but um, w- during the interview, you made up the point about, um, in some ways, the spirit of the Cold War starts when the Americans do not tell Stalin that they're building the bomb, um, even though he knows because of his spies and whatnot. But, uh, I, and, and this is not really a counter-argument to that, but but it's worth pointing out that like you said during the last show that that we um, that we did together, um, even Japan was working on their own. So Germany's working on theirs, Japan's working on theirs, Britain was working on theirs until they did decided to work with us. Stalin's got to know that the United States is 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 going all out, or to, he's he's got to know at the very least we're trying to build our own atomic bomb to see to see what's possible, to see if it even is possible. So even if he didn't have his spies, even if he didn't have um, uh, the messages getting back to him from Los Alamos, he's got to figure that we're that we're spending considerable resources trying to develop this bomb because the war is so horrid and it's been going on for so many years. So I'm not sure that weakens your argument. But at the same time, I think it's just worth pointing out that he knew everybody who could was working on their own bomb. Well, the point that I was making, and this is in the interview with Jeff, that people obviously haven't heard yet, but they'll right. hear next week, is that when, there's always these debates about who broke the spirit of Yalta mm. first. FDR mm. uh, uh, accused Stalin of breaking the spirit of Yalta um, over his treatment of Poland in particular, Truman also accused him of the same thing. But from Stalin's perspective, the Americans um, had been keeping a big secret from him that they were sharing with the British, right? Uh, which was their um, a nuclear project, the Manhattan Project. Um, so if you're Stalin and you know your quote-unquote allies are building uh, this, this, this bomb or several bombs and they're very close to it, and, and these things are going to have the, uh, you know, an untold destructive power, and they're not telling you about it. There's three, three people in this alliance. Two of them know about it, and the third is being deliberately kept out of the loop. You know, I think you're going to be very, very suspicious about why that might be. We know Stalin was paranoid to begin with. Right. That's why he survived as long as he did. <laughs> um, and so uh, I, I think in, from his view, they broke the spirit of Yalta when they weren't being open and honest with him about that, which which had a material impact on their relationship because they could very well use it on him at some point. So... Um, you know, and, uh, beyond that, you know, their their attempts to negotiate surrenders directly with the Germans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's it's one of those arguments. It's a classic argument, like whether or not they had to use the bombs on Japan. That there are two sides to the story, and um, I don't think there's a clear winner 
on either side. Right. But it's it's worth understanding both both perspectives and um, I don't know. Uh, Maybe remaining agnostic about it. It's a bit like the existence of Jesus thing, you know? There right. are arguments for both camps, right. whether or not he existed. I don't think there's enough evidence to declare either one the winner, so maybe the intellectually honest position is just to not take a position, to remain agnostic and say, you know, we don't. Right. It, it, but, to, but at the same time, to be honest, to say it wasn't just because of the reasons you think it was, and and, it, and decisions like this are obviously much more complicated than they appear. Um Jeff touched on something else um, when he said that that uh, FDR was like so focused on what was coming after the war that he wanted to work with the Russians in some ways as far as the United Nations, but he didn't trust him either, so he wasn't going to share the secrets of the atomic bomb. But again, that that's um, that's um, a supposition, I guess, because obviously the man died. But I think he was willing to work with Stalin up to a point on certain things, okay, right. but not everything. And why, I think he was being why, realistic in that sense. Why are we talking about stuff Jeff said when people haven't heard the Jeff interview? No, he it's only, he only don't ever correct me. He only like vaguely, vaguely, vaguely touched on that. And I, and, and that's pertinent to this conversation. So I don't appreciate your rudeness. It's hour three. I'm tired. I'm not taking oh, shit off you. I'm not you, taking geez. shit off Stalin. I'm not taking shit off look, anybody. Look at you, you scrappy little devil, you. Look at you. You're down there punching my shin bones. You know, I'm like... I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. Anyway, so let's jump into this. It reminds me of when... When I tell Fox that uh, if he doesn't listen to me, I'm going to take away his latest toy garbage truck, his immediate response is, I'm going to take away your laptop. <laughs> and I'm like, really? That's, 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 that's amusing. That's my boy. Yeah. Don't fuck with me, Dad. On June 6th, Sorry. June 6th, yeah. 1945, Secretary of War Stimson, Stimo, <laughs> Uh, again briefed Truman on the S-1 project, yeah. code name for the Manhattan Project. S-1, named, of course, after Stan, <laughs> the uh, Stan-1 project. Barry had the planes. Right. Planes were a big... They spent more on the planes than they did on the Manhattan Project, as we know. So Barry got the B-29s. Right. Um, Stan got the nuclear project. That's how they divvied it up. There was, you know, branding exercise. Right. You can't, you know, they they had to d- divide their time up. Obviously, you can't all be. If you're both working on the same thing, it's kind of a waste yeah. of resources. So overlap. The Barryan stance. Now, um, you know, Stimson basically presented to Truman the consensus of the interim committee, the advisory group mm-hmm. on atomic research. That was a combination of of military and scientific. People right. and, and political, I think, uh, uh, to do, not only to focus on what they should do during the war with atomic weapons, but what their position should be, the United States' position should be after the war with regards to atomic policy. Yeah, so you've got the military, you've got the scientists, you've got you've got the people who helped 
get this thing going off the ground years and years ago, like Bush and that kind of stuff. But you've also got Oppenheimer, Fermi, Compton, Lawrence on the scientific panel. George, General Marshall is representing the military. So it's a cross-the-board thing. And again, like you're, like you're saying, okay, we're getting near the end of this thing if it does work. What are we going to do now? What are we going to do in the future when the war's over with? This is such a huge, huge uh, decision uh, that this stuff has got to be thought about now. And we've got to make some decisions, especially with this president who is still being brought up to speed. Um, Fuck you, Jimmy. (laughs) Uh, Cold chisel when the war is over for non-Australians. If I I have any hope for our podcast is that I get international listeners to check out Cold Chisel. There you go. Great, great fucking band. Um, After the war is over, what are they going to do? They won't have to start again, like Jimmy said. Uh, You don't have to go and build a new bomb. Well, build lots of bombs. Is what they yeah. thought, but yeah. yeah. So they met. They they met um, uh, on the thirty first of May, and concluded. Yeah. Be- before you go on, I'm just saying. So it's June. Um, Stimson and Leahy are bringing Tr- uh, Truman up to speed, but already the wheels are coming off the alliance, as you're about to describe. So a couple of months before this, on May thirty first, the United States, either interim committee or certain members of it, have already made some pretty major decisions about the future. You interrupted me to say Yeah, but no, see, no, you were doing it wrong because we were talking about June and you just jumped into May. You've got to give it context and you've got to explain it. Explain it. Mansplain it. (laughs) So as Ray just mans, Ray just mansplained uh, (laughs) a week before Stimson met with Truman. (laughs) The interim committee had met on the 31st of May. Right. And one of the things they decided was that the United States should not share its nuclear secrets with the rest of the world. So there were some, uh, 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 particularly the scientists, who believed that they should share it, that the only way to avoid an all-out arms Mm -hmm. race, a nuclear arms race, which obviously is a bad idea, (laughs) (laughs) was to to share it and create some sort of international body. Well, we've already got one, the United Nations, to share it and and, and make sure that, uh, you know, there's sort of this parity on behalf of the nations of the world to, to understand this and how you engage with it so it doesn't become a, you know, who's got the biggest dick in the nuclear shed, tool shed. Um, but the interim committee had decided that they should not do that. And instead, the United States should try to retain its superiority with nuclear weapons in case international relations deteriorated, which was code for in case we go to war with the Soviets, basically. Now, I just have to ask, you have these very intelligent men capable of amazing things going, let's take this nuclear research, put it out there for peaceful means, but at the same time develop an international inspection system so we can check on each other. It's just pie in the sky stuff. I mean, that's just not how the real world works. And I'm just kind of surprised that one, someone actually said this out loud and two, it had to be voted down overall by the, um, the more realists in the room. 
No, but you, you got it all backwards. Do I? Dude, as usual, you, you're ass backwards. <coughs> and I know you've gotten this far in life by bending over and bearing your ass to the world and letting them take you. It's worked um, so far. But you can't. Well, yes, but I think now is the time, Ray. Now you've got to run up against something. It's time. You've got to switch it up. <laughs> okay. Um, FDR had conceived of the United Nations and the Security Council as a way of international cooperation to, to end future wars with exactly this idea. We're going to come together in a global democracy and we're going to keep each other in check so we don't end up in another war like World War Two or the one that preceded right. or the, just one big war, if you want to think of it that way. We're going to come up with a more intelligent, uh, uh, sophisticated uh, uh, version of international relations where we monitor each other. You know, we, we, we find diplomatic ways of resolving our differences and we just don't we don't go and kill tens of millions of people every time. We're not happy with who's got what. Okay. That was the whole fucking point of of the UN. Okay, I'm going to shoot that down. Two points. One, on the last bullshit rant, you were trashing the Security Council. And two, none of this is going to work because of the veto compromise that FDR is going to put in uh, to make Stalin happy. So you can have your international Whoa, committees. Okay, okay. Yeah. He didn't put it in to make Stalin happy. Stalin, Churchill, and Roosevelt all wanted the oh, veto. Oh, right, no, system. right, no. Roosevelt needed it. Roosevelt needed that in there to 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 get the U.S. Congress right, to accept right. no, it, American absolutely. involvement in the United. Point Nations. taken. Everybody wanted it because everybody wanted to be able to control their points. I, I see your point, and I can see that. However, having a veto in the Security Council. Of, or permanent members, whatever you want to call it, trumps any kind of international atomic inspection team. Yes. As it turns out, it was the flaw that kind of destroyed the usefulness mm. of the Security Council in many ways. Gotcha. But I don't think they knew sure. that then. But my point is that you're, you're, you're saying that this whole idea of an international inspection system was pie-in-the-sky hippie shit. Right. <laughs> Um, but this was this was what was going on in 1945. They had just convened the first meeting of the United Nations. They were trying to engineer a better world, and I'm not going to fucking take a dump on their heads for that. I think that is admirable. Sure. Um, but, you know, some members of the Manhattan Project thought that the nuclear research should be given to the international community for peaceful purposes as well, you know, for creation of nuclear energy as well as using nuclear weapons as a potential deterrent. Imagine if the um, UN had been given in 1945 the keys to the nuclear uh, closet mm -hmm. and the, the international bodies decided that, uh, according to international law, the only entity that was allowed to use nuclear weapons from that point forward, uh, say from the end of World War II, right. would be the United Nations Security Council. And it would only be able to use them uh, with, the, with, the, with a vote and an agreement of the Security Council uh, members at the time. And uh, they could use that as a deterrent to, to prevent 
genocides or to prevent invasions or, or, or whatever you wanted to prevent. If they had had the power um, and, and anybody, and there would be a, a, a program of international inspections run by the Security Council, and anybody, uh, any country found to be developing their own nuclear weapons would be subject to uh, penalties and, and, and controlled by the UNSC. If it had been funded and enabled sufficiently to do its job, which was to be basically the global cop, right? you know, um, it, it, we could have had a very different world for the last 70 years. We could have avoided the arms race, the Cold War. I, I certainly wish they would have tried. I'm, I'm probably too cynical uh, to believe that. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. It would have been nice if they would have, have been able to have intertwined the United Nations with the nuclear research that was produced in Los Alamos. Uh, but by the, by the way things unfolded um, after Japan, that, that wasn't going to happen. But, yes, you're right. I think that would have been, that would have been nice. So, wait, if they you're saying tried. now yeah. that... So you're now you're saying that of the two of us, you're the cynical one. Really? <laughs> Is this where we've arrived at in our relationship okay. after four and a half years? Yeah, you're you, the cynical yeah, one. Yeah, osmosis. It has rubbed off on me um, over the microphone, through the bed sheets, over a couple times. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, yeah. over your tits. Yeah, <laughs> I rubbed off on you. All right. Chest, damn it! I keep telling you. Chest. Anyway. It would it would have been nice yeah, if they something look like boobs to me, man. I don't know. Yeah. You need a man's ear. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I hope Fox pisses in your Cheerios. Listen, Frank, have you ever considered wearing something for support? Now look at this. Mind you, this is just a prototype. You want me to wear a bra? No, no. A bra is for ladies. Meet the bro. <laughs> love that. That's what you need. The bro. The bro. I love that. Oh. Now, um, there were obviously, these guys, getting back to the interim committee, were aware that the Soviets would, would catch up, but they, they weren't exactly sure how long it would take them. Some of them thought the Soviets would catch up in three or four years. Mm -hmm. Groves thought it would take them 20 years ah, to catch up. He was all way off the mark. I guess he didn't know they had spies. And, and, yeah, well, it, it wasn't so much that. It wasn't that he didn't think they understood the science. It was that he was convinced that he had basically bought the world supply of uranium. Gotcha, gotcha. And he had it locked down. <laughs> right. USA, uh, yeah, he, uh, he, yeah. Yeah. Now, um, one of the uh, scientists on the scientific panel, Lawrence, uh, suggested that they should do a demonstration of the atomic bomb mm -hmm. to convince the Japanese to surrender. But that idea basically got shot down yeah. pretty quickly. Um, now, there, there were a couple of reasons for that. Mm -hmm. One of them was that it might not work. Right. And... And if it didn't work, wah, wah. Uh, of course, this is before Trinity. Right. If it didn't work, um, yeah, the Japanese might, yeah, might, might make funny sounds and laugh at them, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, then it'd be harder to get them to surrender. Then, right. 
Um, of course, I would argue that you could do your own test first, make sure it works in secret, and then do another test once you know that it works. But um, no, they didn't obviously consider that. Um, I, I, and again, I don't, I don't want to stop the flow of the show. We can jump into, back into this. But the point that you keep making that, uh, that I totally agree with is that I, like you, I am still trying to get the sense of absolute reckless, ought to me, reckless urgency. Um, yes, you'll lose a lot of American lives if you invade the main islands of Japan, but you don't have to invade right now. You can hold back. You can wait. Your men can sit on islands. Your men can sit on ships, just like they did for D-Day. What is the absolute headlong rush into trying to lock this stuff down? It, it, it just, it just, I just, it just throws me off. I can't see why they can't take their time and do this right. Yes, you can. I've explained it to you many times. Okay, right? don't. I don't need the attitude. It's too fucking late at night. I'm tired. Okay. No, but, but the point. What time is it? it? What time is it? It's nine nineteen. I'm very tired. I had to do my taxes. That's that's late. I had to it's do my taxes today. I did my taxes and... today. I'm 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 spent. I'm done. No, but the, but the, no, I'm not saying that I don't. I I I find it hard to justify all these meetings. And quick decisions is what I'm saying. I'm just trying to figure out why the hell are they... They've been at war for years. Why are the hell are they just going at this... Because... Peace. Peace. Because the Soviets are about to declare war on Japan is what it is. All right. Has to be. It's the only thing that explains the timing and the sense of urgency is that the Soviets are about to declare war on Japan and the Americans want to take credit for ending the war before the Soviets have a chance to do that. And, of course, if the Soviets declare war on Japan and then Japan surrenders, who the fuck are we going to drop these fucking bombs on? We've just spent $2.2 billion <laughs> making. Good point. Uh, that's a good that's point. A bad, yeah. That's bad. That's, you know, yeah. there's no one left. So, I mean, they could have always dropped them on the French, I say, because... <laughs> no. No one liked the French um, at this juncture, so, you know. God. Okay. I'm not saying you're wrong. Okay. It's just a little insensitive. <laughs> On with the show. <laughs> Considering we're going to be in yeah. Paris in a couple of months, so I should be careful. Yeah. It's not me. I'm not an American. No, no. I'm an Aussie. We love the hey, French. Hey, don't get me stabbed no, or no, something. Fuck. You t- get beat up with a loaf late. of bread or something. <laughs> You just got to give them a hard look. They'll surrender. <laughs> hey! You just go, hey! And they'll give in. Oh, I'm very sorry, monsieur. I did not realize you had a hard stare in your, uh, in your kit bag. Oh. Um, yeah. <clears throat> we thought our smelly cheese would be enough to, to dissuade you from wanting to give us the hard stare. <clears throat> Anyway, back to the uh, 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 idea of a, a demonstration. Yeah. So um, the other uh, arguments that were made apparently uh, against this is that the Japanese, if, if they were warned that the bomb might be dropped on them, they might put the American prisoners of war that they had into the yeah. target cities. Yeah. Or they might make an all-out effort to shoot down the B-29 that was going to drop the bomb. Now, I would say they were probably making an all-out effort anyway. <laughs> I don't think they were going, oh, well, here comes really some more try. bombers. Oh, fuck it. Yeah. Oh, fuck it. You know, let them, let them bomb us. They've, they've only killed 260,000 of us. 
Um, what's a couple yeah, more? Yeah, what's, what's another 100,000? Yeah, they, they killed 100,000 in one night in the bombing of Tokyo. But, you know, let's not try so hard to shoot. Like, fuck off! <laughs> they were trying to shoot them down. Like, what do you think they were doing? Yeah. Um, uh, 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 anyway, um, uh, you know, and, and, and I guess, of course, the shock value of the bomb was partially what they were going for here. Right. Um, so anyway, they, the, the committee decided that the bomb should be dropped without warning on a dual target. Mm-hmm. Uh, by that they mean a, a, a munitions factory of some sort surrounded by workers' homes. So you take out military and civilians. <sighs> that's hardcore. But I mean, but that's that's the result of the end of the conversation. Look, if you want to end the war, or if you want to do whatever, and you're going to use this bomb, yeah, drop it. Don't tell anybody, and uh, let's hit something that's going to be meaningful. And um, and again, the other part was let let's hit a place that's never been hit before, so we can truly tell how powerful this bomb is going to be. And and like you said, I think you said in the previous episode, they really didn't have a a, a solid idea of how powerful it was going to be once it's detonated. Well, yeah, particularly, I mean, keeping in mind there are two bombs, right? There's the uranium bomb and the plutonium bomb. The uranium bomb never got tested. Right. They used it for the first time on Hiroshima because they were pretty convinced they knew it was going to work. The plutonium bomb, they did test at uh, the, at Trinity, which we're going to get into sh- shortly. But when the committee meeting is taking place here on the 31st of May, um, they hadn't even tested Trinity. They were still six weeks away from the Trinity test. So they really don't know. And even at the Trinity test, uh, they, they were taking bets. They had a, they had a book oh, running God. to see uh, who could guess how powerful it was. And they were all over the place. They really had no idea, yeah. as you say, about how powerful certainly the plutonium bomb might be. Um, but the weirdest thing for me about the committee meeting is there was no discussion, as far as we can tell, about whether or not they should use the bomb. Absolutely. Only about when and where they should use the bomb. Right. Should it be a demonstration? Should it be a military target? We're going to use this. It's just in what context? And you're absolutely right. That was skipped right over. Again, no discussion, as far as we know, about, well, maybe we should wait until the Russians declare war on Japan and see what happens. Yeah. See if that scares them into surrendering. We, we already know they're on the bones of their ass. They, they've got n- no supply lines. They're starving. They've run out of fuel. Uh, they've run out of boats. They've run out of planes. They've run out of guns. They've run out of ammunition. Yeah. You know, let's just wait until Stalin declares war on them and then see what happens. Yeah, as you said, you know, we're cosy. We're sitting on our islands. We've already taken the islands. Um, we've already, you know, we, we, we're surrounded the, 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 the home islands. Yeah. We could just sit just and Just stand down. And, yeah. You know. yeah. Yeah, just wait. And just to give a gruesome detail about how, how, how bad things are on the home islands, at this point, the Japanese school children are organized and sent out into the forest to gather acorns for grounding to use as flour. Because they literally have run out of basic supplies, and so these kids are being used because they're young and strong and whatever to go out there and just grab as many acorns as they can every day. I mean, this is how bad it's gotten for these people. But as we uh, we'll probably talk about more in the future, the the uh, military that is in charge of the government is not ready to give up. 
Well, not at this juncture. Right. Yes. Right. Now, of course, um, the, the Potsdam meeting was coming up on the 17th of July. And, uh, you know, this is where it was decided amongst the Americans that uh, whilst Churchill already was on board and knew about it, that uh, Truman should stall if he was directly asked about them by Stalin. Right. Um, and, and then after the test had happened and they knew it was a, it was a go, that he should tell Stalin about it but tell him as little as possible. Yeah. Which we've talked about previously. Now, Stimson, though, when he's briefing, getting back to Stimson, right, who's meeting with um, Truman on the 6th of June, mm -hmm. He tells him that the members of the interim committee generally held the position that international agreements should be made in which all nuclear research would be made public, systems of inspections would be devised and all of this kind of stuff. Right. So there was, uh, there was a position that it should happen, but at, there was a timing of it, I think. They weren't... Uh, convinced they weren't going to do it immediately but at some point oh, in time right. that's where they thought it should go they were even talking about domestic legislation to force america to do that to give up their nuclear secrets mm. but in the short term they said let's keep it to ourselves and let's build up as much <laughs> fissionable material as possible right to maintain our position of superiority in case shit goes bad with the with the Russians, basically. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so again, that's that's a, a realistic uh, splitting splitting uh, hairs. You know, let's let's try to work on this for the future. But for now, let's enjoy our monopoly and create as much material as we can, so we can make make as many bombs as we can. Just 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 in case. Now, because like you said a minute ago, it's pretty much a done deal that the bomb, in some form or fashion, is going to be used, and so they have to put together a group to select a target, and this is in late April. So in charge of this is Groves and General Thomas Farrell, his military aide, who was selected back in uh, February of 1945, and they pretty much have to come up with what they are going to hit once they've got the bomb ready, even though they haven't tested it yet. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Even though they haven't tested it yet, uh, they've got to come up with a list of things. So in late May, this committee of scientists, of Air Force officers, put down several possible locations to be the first target. The uh, Kokura Arsenal, Hiroshima, Nagati, Nagata, and, to and Kyoto. Those are the four best targets. But here's the part that sickens, sickens me, and, and I'm an American. So, so far, these four places have been untouched. However, General Curtis LeMay's 20th Air Force has already planned out on paper to wipe out every major Japanese city by the first day of 1946. So it's like, yes, we haven't touched those. So he's confirming we haven't hit those places yet. But if, if, if you haven't done anything by, you know, some between now and the beginning of 1946, my goal is to wipe out every, every major city Japan has. And I'm just trying to comprehend that compared to dropping one or two bombs. I mean, they were going to obliterate the entire country. Yeah. I mean, does it matter if you die by nuclear bomb or by a firebomb or by ordnance? I mean, but again, I just, I'm just, sometimes I'm just overwhelmed by the gruesome horror that is involved in this war. Yeah, look, of course, 
today we believe that deliberately targeting civilians is a war crime. Yeah. Um, now, that wasn't the international mindset you know, during World War II. I understand that. But that doesn't mean it wasn't morally appalling. Yeah. Um, you know, it's this, people often make the argument, uh, well, you can't judge people because it was a different time. And my argument is fucking bullshit. Yes, you can. I can say slavery was morally reprehensible. Uh, back when slavery you know, was common in the Western world. Um, people may not have thought so at the time, but that's because they were cunts. Uh, it, it wasn't right just because people thought it was right or could justify mm. it. It was still morally reprehensible. We, we can judge. Absolutely, we can judge. We, we do it all the time. We say, well, we don't say, well, you can't judge Hitler. Um, and, uh, you know, his, his, his extermination of the Jews, his attempted genocide of the Jews, because it was a different time. Right. We don't, no, one, no one says that. <laughs> but people will say, well, you can't judge uh, the American uh, and British bombing of, of civilians in, in, in G- Germany and Japan because it was a different time. But we're happy to judge Hitler. Uh, we're happy to judge Stalin for his purges and... and, and the famines as a result of the, the five-year plans in the Ukraine and places like that. So people are full of shit. What, what, what they're trying to say, what they're really saying, what it's code for is don't criticise what we did, <laughs> right. but feel free to criticise the fuck out of everybody else, but don't <laughs> criticise us because we're white we're good guys. and we're capitalists right. and the good guys. Yeah, it's, it's such a crock of shit. Um, every time you hear that from people, I'm like, fuck you, you apologist motherfucker. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. But I'm kidding in that I think that. But I understand that people rabbit this kind of stuff and they haven't thought deeply about right. it quite often. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe there are, there are justified arguments there. And if I'm wrong, please shoot me an email and tell me. Um, as you will anyway, people. I don't need you. The ones that always email me go, I disagree with what you said in that episode. Tell me why. Um, that's good. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely interested in hearing your disagreements. But from my perspective, it, that's the way it's usually used. Um, we're, we're happy to criticize Hitler in World War II, but we don't want to criticize Churchill and Roosevelt and Stalin and, and the Westerners because why again? Uh, well, just because. Yeah. Um, now, the, these four cities that you mentioned, Kokura, uh, Hiroshima, Niigata, and Kyoto, were selected as the four best targets because they had been deliberately left untouched. Ah. And they, they wanted a pristine city, as I think you said last episode or earlier this episode. They wanted a pristine city to drop the bombs on, um, to, to okay, A, see what it did, mm-hmm. um, and B, to have the biggest, most profound psychological impression they could make on the Japanese. Right. Kyoto was supposed to be one of the uh, initial targets, but Stimson, Stimo, vetoed Kyoto. Stimo, veto, Kyoto, um, (laughs) is what he said. Uh, Mr. Rabato. Because, Uh yeah, I think for the the same reason that... um, you know, there were there were uh, who was what was the city that uh, Churchill tried not to bomb in Germany? Dresden wasn't. No, they bombed the fuck oh, out of Dresden. Try not um, to bomb. 
there was another one that they didn't bomb. I can't remember what it was. But um, yeah, Kyoto was cultural center of Japan, full of priceless art treasures and temples and things like mm. that. So hats off to Stimo that he took Kyoto off the list with his veto. And, and to add on to that real quick, <clears throat> excuse me, before you go on, excuse me. <clears throat> Damn. So uh, to add on to that, uh, before you go on, uh, as early as 1943, the Americans had put together a special unit. I'm sure you've all heard of the movie called The Monuments Men, um, where they were going in and trying to save a lot of the artwork uh, throughout Europe. And so they were really active in 44 and 45. So this is not as... I don't know, as superficial as it sounds. Again, this is a very important place to the Japanese. Uh, it does have a lot of treasures. It does have a lot of art and temples and things like that. So we were we were trying to help with Europe's art uh, in 43, 44, and 45. And again, I think you're right. I think Stimson deserves credit for going, no, 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 that would be that would be going too far. Let's put another city in its place instead of that one. Yeah, I mean, um, you know... Props to him, I guess. I mean, uh, it was still a horrible... Yeah. You know, they, they did some horrible damage, but at least they didn't take out the <laughs> Kill the people, but don't um, kill their artwork. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, also as part of this goings-on now, um, the, the scientists wanted to have more of a say in what was going on here. The interim committee was their only real way of communicating with the policymakers about what, you know, what they thought should be going on. And um, they, they put together their own report. MetLab mm -hmm. put together their own report. Uh, it was called MetLab's Committee on the Social and Political Implications of the Atomic Bombs, chaired by James Frank. And it's quite often known as the Frank Report because mm -hmm. they were pretty frank <laughs> about what they right. uh, thought in this. Um, that's how he got his name. <laughs> um, and again, the Frank Report was pushing for international control of atomic power as the only way to stop an arms race. Yeah. Um, but the scientific panel on the interim committee disagreed with the Frank Report. Um Again, for the reasons I mentioned before, they, they sort of had themselves convinced that a, uh, a demonstration mm -hmm. wouldn't really work uh, to, to force Japan to surrender and that they could only do a demonstration once they'd informed all of their allies, which included the Soviet Union, Ooh. and they didn't want to warn right. the Soviet Union uh, apart from you know the the brief few words that uh, Truman said to him in Potsdam. Before we go on, uh, tell everybody what city was put in the place of Kyoto as it was taken off the list of targets. Yeah, so they they that's when they came out with Nagasaki uh, yeah. as the replacement to uh, Kyoto. Jeez, but it still wasn't going to be one of the early targets. But as we'll see when we get to that, uh, there was a last minute change of target so um, on the 2nd of July Truman and Stimson met to talk about the peace terms that they were going to draw up for Japan mm -hmm. it was going to become part of the Potsdam Declaration and we've talked a little about this in the past so we, we don't need to go into it but just as a reminder 
It included demilitarization, prosecution of war criminals. Um, but one of the big issues was the, the, the standing of the emperor right. after the surrender. Again, and it's a major sticking point that that doesn't get enough, um, I don't know, airtime mm-hmm. when this comes up. As I mentioned, I think on last episode or this episode, the, the, the Japanese emperor was a divinity to the Japanese. Very hard for us to understand. Right. Um, those of us with a Western education. But, you know, the closest I can come to saying is imagine Jesus was your president or your prime minister, depending on which country you live in. Mm-hmm. Um, that's basically what we're talking about here. He, he was a, a divinity. He was a god that uh, the very idea that he might be executed for war crimes by these heathen barbarians in the West was completely uh, a no-go zone for the Japanese. Absolutely not even something that they could even contemplate. They would all die, man, woman and child, willingly Mm -hmm. to, to try and stop their emperor from uh, uh, being treated that way. And the Americans knew that, but still didn't clarify that point in the surrender documents. Oh. Uh, the, so, sorry, the Potsdam Declaration, the, the, the demands, the surrender demands, which delayed it. It had to have. Now, maybe the Japanese wouldn't have surrendered anyway. We don't know. But... They certainly aren't going to surrender without having that point clarified. But uh, for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. Truman and his advisors decided just to leave that a little bit murky. Yeah. And and again, that's just too important. And like you said, they knew it. The fact that it was omitted, the fact that it was left murky is in its own way a decision made by those uh, with Truman. So again... By not including it, you've already made your decision. So that was on July 2nd, the very next day. And this is a point that we brought up with our interview with Jeff and and, and our previous show. The very next day, July 3rd, Stimson goes back to Truman and he says, look, it's a good idea to bring up the bomb to Stalin in a a kind of, maybe not obviously tell him everything, but just let him know that we have this new weapon. But what Stimson says to Truman is that this is a badly needed equalizer probably referring to the number of Soviet troops um, versus the British and American troops in Europe and, and how far the, the, the Soviets have come. The, the, uh, they, they, they pretty much gutted on their own the German war machine. So they've got all these troops. They're, they're massing on the, uh, the Eastern, uh, Eastern Europe. They're into Berlin, that kind of stuff. And we don't want to keep our troops there any longer than we have to. But if you can mention this, maybe this can help even out the calculation to say we have something, too, that you don't have. And so um, that would allow Truman to be a little more cocky and to stand up to, to Stalin a little bit more, who has so many more boots on the ground. And I think, you know, there is at least one data point of evidence to demonstrate that the Americans, Stimson is the Secretary of War, he's talking to the President, mm-hmm. that they absolutely saw the bomb as something to use against the Russians. Absolutely. I agree. That that's their that's their trump card. It's it's it's, it's all they've got, but it's the best card they could possibly have. 
It's also Trump's trump card yeah. in his negotiations with Kim and Putin, apparently. Right. Smart so they have their own trump yeah. card, so it's not much of a trump card when they have a trump card. Yeah. Because he says he's a nice and smart, his bombs. But I, I think you're right. I think they feel threatened. I think they feel like they can't trust Stalin. They they don't want to have to work with him. They want to they have some kind of leverage over him. And now they've got it. I mean, it still hasn't been tested, but in theory, now they've got it. Bring it up to Stalin in some form or fashion when you meet him in Potsdam. Meanwhile, the test of the plutonium implosion bomb is scheduled for July 16th at a site known as the Alamogordo Bombing Range. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now, it was previously known as Jornada del Muerto, or the journey of death. That's not much better. And it was known as that before <laughs> the bomb test. Uh, it was apparently a friendly little piece of land for uh, early settlers to travel through. Right. 210 miles south of Los Alamos in New Mexico, where the lab was. Do you know what Alamogordo means? How's your Spanish, Ray? Alamogordo. No, I... Uh, Alamo Gordo is fat, big. I don't know. Yeah, that's pretty good. Gordo, you know that because you're a cigar smoker. Yeah. A Gordo size in a cigar is normally a fat cigar. Short and fat, you're Gordo. Right. Um, Alamo Gordo means a fat cottonwood. Uh. Um, It also happens to be what I call my penis, but uh, (laughs) say, hey, baby. Alamogordo needs some loving. Um, uh, the test site uh, and the test itself were renamed Trinity ah. by Oppenheimer. Do you want to talk about where he came up with the name? Um, I, I I was a little un, unimpressed <laughs> with that. Uh, it, I, I thought it was interesting that... Um, in 1962, Groves wrote to Oppie Oppenheimer, and he said, why did you pick that name? Because Groves' opinion was that it was a common name for rivers and peaks in the American West to make it nice and vague. But Oppenheimer replied that he was thinking of a poem by John Donne. Um, the poem is, him to my God, to God, my God, in my sickness. And the, and the short part of the poem is, as West and East, and all flat maps, and I am one, are one, so death doth touch the resurrection. Now, I don't get Trinity out of that, but that's what the man said he was thinking about when he came up with the name, and who am I to say he was lying? Yeah, so Gro- he told Groves that Groves went, and how did he come up with Trinity? Out of that? He goes, oh, look, <laughs> he got bullshit fucking, on okay, I'll tell you the truth, I'm a big Matrix fan. Hello, Neil. How do you know that name? I know a lot about you. Who are you? My name is Trinity. Trinity. The Trinity? That cracked the IRSD base. That was a long time ago. Jesus. What? I just thought, um... You were a guy. Most guys do. Now, I want to point out something about that clip. Yeah. So, you're at a club, and uh, mm, 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 some smoking... Right. 
some uh, smoking hot babe walks up to you at the club. Happens more and introduces often than you think. The, right, right, right. And introduces herself. Just gives you. Just tells you a name. Your first reaction is to assume that she's a fucking <laughs> hacker with the same name. And then your second reaction is to tell her you thought she was a guy. Like, no wonder Keanu is always, you always see him alone on a motorbike. No wonder he can't get laid, this guy. If that's yeah. how he deals with women in nightclubs. Yeah, you know, I just would, she said, my name is Trinity. I would have said, I don't care. Let's just, fuck. Right. let's go right, right now. That's right. You're wearing an, you're wearing all, you're wearing skin tight fucking Patent leather, Hell yeah. body suit. Yeah, let's just go and peel that off you right now. I lick it off. <laughs> but 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 you're right. I'm like you know, um, I'm going to shut down the brain. The penis is taken over. I hope the rest of the night goes well. Yeah. Uh, Groves uh, concluded that there was a, another poem by John Donne called uh, well that began. Batter my heart, three-personed God. Right. That uh, that he thinks uh, Oppenheimer may have got his Jean Don. Right. That makes sense. Wrong. Yeah. Um, I think it's all bullshit. I just think he thought this thing is uh, the Holy Trinity, man. This is uh, this thing is going to be the destroyer and maker of worlds, as he later said. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I am death. I have. I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Anyway. We'll get to that, I think, um, in our next episode now, the actual Trinity test. Suffice to say that um, still at this junction, it seems that Oppenheimer and most of the scientists working on the Manhattan Project Mm -hmm. thought that if the weapon was successful, it might once and for all put an end to war. Ah. They had no idea what they were creating right. in terms of a nuclear arms race, although some did foresee the possibility of that. And I think their involvement in the creation of this ended up haunting them for the rest of their lives. Well, let's wrap it up there. We'll be back uh, next week with the interview with Jeff Hogue from the History of the Cold War podcast. Mm-hmm. Go check that out. Yeah, um, please. If you, while you're waiting. In the meantime, I want to uh, thank some of our latest subscribers, our heroes. Um, DEFCON 1 subscribers, uh, come in. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I tell them to be quiet. It never takes. I don't know what to do. Right. Uh, Bonnie Herlock, Howard Goodall, Colin Robertson, Jens Hansen, Rosemary Jones, Keith McGee, Jim Roffin, uh, Matthew Clark, Santiago Joel Fuentes Zulepa. Nice. I think I got that in the right order. Chris Tanarella, Jason Bijer, Nick Holland, Ben Marachek, Scott Banks, Scott Burbick, and our Defcon, new DEFCON 2 subscriber, Damon O'Hara. So, uh, golf clap for those people. Thank you for your support. We appreciate it. Hope you're enjoying the series. Might be a while before you get up to this, but when you do, hope you're enjoying it. We loved you all along. Right. And uh, we'll be back next week with Jeff Hogue, and then a couple of weeks after that, we're going to get into 
Alamogordo and the Trinity test itself. The boom, uh, boom. And, um, yeah, the test of the gadget, as it was known. Right. Go, go, gadget, bomb. <laughs> I think is what they said. So be good to each other. D back. Don't forget our, uh, check out our, um, our, um, what are we Bullshit the out? news. Check it. Yeah, uh, yeah, Bullshit Field of the News. Our new weekly news series on the Bullshit Filler. Um, it's free. Uh, check out our Reddit uh, thing, Cam and Ray, is the subreddit uh, where we post stuff. Uh, engage us on that. And uh, just be good to each other. We'll be back. Ciao. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere.